You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric May, Milwaukee Bucks supporter at The Athletic Wisconsin. And not joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Madden. And bringing you today's podcast is Himalaya. You can get Locked on Bucks on the brand new podcasting app, Himalaya, as well as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Bucks. No Frank tonight. Uh, he, he claims and... Yeah, I mean, this is quite a claim. He said he was roped into watching Endgame. And I just, you know, I'm I'm not imagining Frank really uh, getting bamboozled into watching uh, Avengers Endgame. I think that might be something that he wanted, but that's okay. Um, I've yet to see it. I need to see it um, because spoilers, all of those things. Uh, I was kind of hoping to see it today, but the day got away from me as I made the trek back from Boston here to Milwaukee to uh, see if the Bucks would practice. They did not practice today, just a recovery day for them, and they get ready for Game 5 coming up tomorrow night. So it uh, looks like Frank and I are going to go every other here, uh, as Frank had the post-Game 4 victory, uh, I had... Uh, I guess I had Monday's podcast, so he had, I had Monday, he had Tuesday, I'm going to have Wednesday, he will have Thursday, and then I guess I will have Friday. Um, so we're going going back and forth here, but that's totally fine. Uh, we'll try to keep it moving, I'll try to keep it quick today, because honestly, there's there's not a lot. There's, there's really not a, a ton new... Uh, because obviously, it, I mean, it's just been one day off, and I guess some of the, uh, I guess we can start with like the newsy thing. Uh, Mike Boonholzer had a conference call with the, the reporters here in Milwaukee, and he told us that there is no update on Malcolm Brogdon uh, quite yet, and that isn't to say that he's out or in, just that uh the last update has not changed, and we'll kind of see where the Bucks go, um, and we'll see if if Brogdon gets back on the floor. I'm I'm sort of leaning towards him coming back here in Game Five, but I I don't really know. Uh, you know, the, they do have to get him through everything. He does have to be cleared. Uh, he does have to feel no pain while he plays. He's got to make sure that he's right. So. Um, I think we we've seen this go, you know, maybe a little bit longer than than we might have thought it would have gone. And you know, I think we saw Marcus Smart hit the floor before uh, Malcolm Brogdon did, which I think is probably a, a, an upset. Uh, if you'd have been predicting the, who returns from injury first between those two guys, and 
I, I guess the one thing I will say, well, I shouldn't say the one thing. I'm going to say a bunch of things today because it's just me. But the one thing I will say about that is I, I really thought, and again, I, I didn't get a chance to listen to Frank's uh, recap podcast, but you know, I, I really thought Marcus Smart ended up hurting the Celtics a lot in that game. Um, I just, I, I just can't get it out of my head. Uh, and he was a minus thirteen in that game. I just couldn't get some of those third quarter sequences, late third quarter, uh, early fourth quarter sequences, where the Celtics. Uh, you know, I think Brad Stevens mentioned his post game, like you know, the goal was to keep driving on closeouts and you know keep moving the ball until you get a good one and you know you would just have these sequences where you'd break down the def- or you'd see the Celtics break down the defense and then the the extra pass would be to Marcus Smart on a wing and it, one he was he was one for seven on the night uh, all of those attempts were from three so he takes seven shots all of them are from three he hits just one of them and there, there's been some people that, you know, so he, he does that. And then, you know, I thought in the third and fourth quarter, it was kind of a spot where it was uh, a record scratch. I think if you've been listening to the podcast long enough, you know that, you know, there's kind of those moments in, in pretty ball movement where the ball just stops. And the, the entire flow and the entire rhythm is gone. And, you know, two... I guess speaking to it, like obviously if you're not hitting shots, you want to try to find a different way to be effective. But to me, it just felt like you would watch it, you would see what they were doing, you would see them putting together a a pretty nice possession, and then it would get to Smart. And there, I think there was a couple that he bobbled, but there was also ones where you know I thought he he kind of remembered that he had made just one. He was struggling from. Uh, from the three-point line and decided not to not to shoot it and I think in some ways that really helped this Bucks team as they're getting more and more comfortable switching it's not something they did a lot during the regular season it's obviously uh, something that they've been doing since the start of game two and you know it just felt like there were some breakdowns and then the final pass would be to Marcus Smart, and he wouldn't take the shot. And instead, he he would drive, he would try to kick. Uh, like it, he just the 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 thought was too big for him. And I guess that's that's one thing I, I think Bucks fans have to keep in mind. And I guess if you only want to keep it with the Bucks and not think about the Celtics, like you know, just think about Nikola Mirotic and when he first came back. And you know, I think how long it kind of May like it took him to feel comfortable because you look at what what kind of happened with Nico and it took a little while. It took a while for him to hit shots and in this series we've seen him do some switching and and play some defense and have active hands on defense and you know I, I think you've seen Miritich kind of come alive. Obviously, part of that might be uh, might be you know being a part of the starting lineup, but. You know, he's kind of come alive, and it took some time. And his his injury was not as serious as Malcolm Brogdon's. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon's injury was quite serious, and we saw him last year uh, trying to get through an injury in that Celtics series, and you know it just didn't go well. There, there was some there were some good shots that he hit, uh, some big shots that he hit as well. Uh, you know, I think of 
Uh, the one in, I believe it was game one, where he gets a kick out three, and he just hits a huge shot and makes a big play and, you know, kind of finds a way to affect the game. But throughout that series, he just he just wasn't himself, and you could see it. And I do wonder, you know, if if he does come back in game five, it, what one, what does he look like? And then two, you know, what... What is best for him? Because if the Bucks take care of business in Game Five, which um, you know I think will happen, I think the Bucks end up winning that game and eliminating the Celtics. But you know if if that is what happens in Game Five, and that's the only game Brogdon is able to play this series because the series is over uh, because the Bucks are care in five. Well, then you know it's it's not going to be the same. It's not going to be the same feel. He's not going to be able to get a chance to try to find the same rhythm against an opponent. And I think it would it would not be good in any way for the Bucks to lose Game 5 and, you know, let the, the Celtics go back to Boston. Maybe they win Game 6. And then all of a sudden you have, you know, a, a, a potential elimination game in Game 7. So I think that's, that's obviously what the Bucks want to avoid. But... Uh, I do think you know you do have to find a way to get Brogdon integrated, and you got to find a way to you know try to do some of that. So we'll see if he ends up playing uh, coming up here on Wednesday. Remember to get this show every day. Subscribe to Locked On Bucks on the new Himalaya podcast app. And in an ever-expanding podcast world, you need Himalaya with their personally curated playlists and new features every day. Download Himalaya at your app store and subscribe to Locked On Bucks. And I guess kind of piggybacking off of all of that, and you know, you know, the idea of whether or not Malcolm Brogdon will play and whether or not he'll be good enough to do so, and how Marcus Smart did coming back from an injury. I think one thing that really hasn't, uh, I don't think anyone has, has forgotten this, is you know how good George Hill and Pat Connaughton have been. And it's obvious. You can look and kind of see, except maybe game one. Uh, Connaughton looked really bad in game one, but... Since the Bucks started switching more, and you know, since he was kind of allowed to be a more active defender, I think he's he's come back strong and had really good games two, three, and four. And obviously, aggressive George Hill is back. Uh, and and what I mean by that is, you know, there's the the internet kind of jokes that there's always been aggressive George Hill inside of George Hill, but it rarely came out. And when it did, it was always a big deal. But it's kind of normal now. He's been he's been this guy for I think pretty much since he got back from his injury uh, since he's with the Bucks. So I, I just think he's been huge for them. And you know, as as you sort of go through this and you think about bringing Malcolm Brogdon back, and you know, you try to figure out how the rotation changes. I'm going to remain fascinated by how well those two, Pat Hill, or (laughs) Pat Connaughton and George Hill, Pat Hill, some weird combination of both of them, um, but how those two play going forward. Because I've heard a lot of talk about how they're playing way over their head, and that's why the Bucks are finding a way to win, and 
you know, neither of those guys are that good, and neither of them should be, you know, really thrust into the type of role that they've been thrust into. And, I, I mean, I I get it, but also these guys are, are pretty pretty ready. Uh, you, you look at George Hill and what he's been able to do. He's just been so good off the dribble. He's attacked so much, and he's really put pressure on on that Celtics defense that, you know, even in some of the moments where Giannis was out, they were still feeling pressure uh, because George Hill was, was able to go to the basket. And, you know, when you look at Pat Connaughton, I, I think more often than not, it's it's probably his rebounds that stick out. He's going to be the one that, that's going to go up and and snatch a, a big defensive rebound. And, again, that should come as no surprise with how good of an athlete uh, he's been. But the three-point shooting has, uh, I guess, in some ways kind of been a, a revelation because – that that wasn't exactly how all of this ended up going for Pat Connaughton in the regular season. He's he's appeared largely fearless of of the moment of how he should try to attack of of really any of that. And I just think there there could possibly be a day of uh, reckoning. I guess you could kind of say where you you truly see that, okay, maybe these guys aren't that good. Maybe they played over their head against the Celtics. Maybe it was something matchup-based or or coverage-based. And then all of a sudden you have two guys that have have really filled in admirably, um, but two guys that probably can't eat, that, that won't have a chance to eat. And I remain curious to sort of watch and see just how real any of this can be and I, I just keep kind of having flashbacks to game one where Connaughton looks like a guy that should get played off the floor and instead in games two three and four he's been very good he's been back to doing his stuff defensively and he's been you know in many ways unafraid of the moment that is at hand or, or really any moment he just kind of goes out he continues to shoot his shots He's going to try to get to the glass, and he's just been really good, and that is something that I I just don't have a good feel for in the remainder of the playoffs. No matter you know how far the Bucks go, or you know possibly they end up losing three straight uh, for the first time all season, and and the Celtics steal the series and uh, you know come back from a three-one deficit. What's interesting about both guys is obviously they don't they don't love the spotlight. They're not chasing it. They're not trying to do any of that, and and yet they have such a a tremendous impact on on game four. They were huge. They 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 were undeniably huge for the Bucks in that game. And I think going into the playoffs, that wasn't something you were counting on. Maybe from Hill. Maybe from Hill, you thought, okay, Brogdon out, Hill can kind of step into a nice role. He's played well since joining the Bucks, and Connaughton is just kind of a wild card. And that role kind of fits him. He's someone that I think is, is pretty unafraid to, to tee up a three. He's someone that gets to the basket, that 
you know, often on cuts, but he he does still do that. He, he has his dunks, he has his threes, uh, and defensively he 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 works. And you know, maybe it isn't one on one against Gordon Hayward. It's one on one against Gordon Hayward for four seconds, and then he moves the ball, and you go back to an off ball roll or. Um, you know, maybe there's a switch or, or something happens and, you know, like the play just keeps going. So I, I think if you're a Bucks fan, that is one thing that I don't know if you necessarily worry about because it's out of your control, obviously. You don't, you don't know how well Pat Connaughton's going to play or, uh, or George Hill's going to play, but you do know that uh, forever there's... There's not a, a ton of leads out there safe, and I think especially against the Celtics team, that's true. You do have to find a way to to keep winning stretches while Giannis is off. You don't have to you don't have to win the full game when Giannis is off. The, the Bucks have been awfully close to that uh, throughout the the regular, or excuse me, throughout the postseason, where um, you know they've just kind of been who they are. And I guess maybe let me clarify, they, they don't. They don't have to win those stretches, but not losing those stretches can be really important. And we've seen throughout this series that you know it can kind of be backbreaking for a team if Giannis is out and the Bucks manage to add to a lead. That that makes it really tough. And you know I think that that kind of brings me to you know some of my thoughts from Game One and. I'll try to stay sort of away from it because I know Frank did so much of it, but it, it's been, uh, let's see, it's about 11.45 years. So, yeah, it's been over 24 hours. I still can't comprehend that it happened. You know, going into into that game, I, I was kind of thinking that the Bucks had it in control. I thought the Bucks, uh, would go, were going to win game four. Uh, and you know, find a, a way to steal both those games in Boston. And uh, I think you could have given me—I don't even know how many guesses I would have needed—to uh, correctly predict just how good the Bucks would be in those moments. It, it was the first time all series that Bud had taken had taken Giannis, Chris, and Bledsoe off the floor at the same time. Uh, he did it during the regular season, obviously, uh, and that's something that we talked about earlier in the year with uh, the Brogdon bench unit lineups. Um, so we talked about that earlier in the year, but in the regular se- or in the postseason, um, and I shouldn't say, excuse me, not the postseason, in the Celtics series, the Bucks just haven't done that. They've always kept one of Middleton, Giannis, and Bledsoe on the floor, and, or at least in non-garbage time situations. And they did that, and all of a sudden in this this crucial game, game four, uh, a game where you're not getting a, a ton of foul calls, you feel like it's going against you, and you you have to take out your three best guys, and you're down 65-63, and you know by the by the start of the fourth quarter, you're up 80-72. You've somehow found a way to go from down two to up eight, and uh, I believe it was just Middleton and Bledsoe that returned with 20 seconds left uh, in the quarter. So really, you know, you have about a four and a half minute stretch where you just go out there and 
somehow, some way, managed to outscore the Celtics. And, you know, there's even times where some of their starters were in. There was times where Kyrie Irving was in. And yet, uh, Bud was able to let them out there and, and let them see what and kind of show off just kind of what they can do. And uh, after the game, Bud mentioned that, you know, things might have gone differently if if those minutes didn't go as well. I, I think you would have been ready to bring uh, Giannis or Middleton into the game in in the third quarter. I think he would have been – I think he would have felt okay with that. And eventually the, the Bucks just played so well that – he didn't need to, and, and he mentioned, uh, you know, trying to stretch those minutes out a little bit longer and and see how far it could go. And it, it it's just that's an incredible sequence. You shouldn't be able to have your three best players on the bench and have a couple guys from bench units just dominate a playoff game. And that is what happened on on Monday night, and it, it was truly impressive to see that. You know, the Bucks' depth, something that we've wondered how much it would matter in the postseason, kind of came through in those moments and shined through in those moments. And, and you know, it was it was just absolutely huge. And I guess the other thing, I wrote about it at the Athletic Wisconsin as well, but, you know, I think the other thing in this game is Giannis. <laughs> I, I don't really have any other words. Like he was just so in control. He was so strong. He was so aggressive. He dealt with foul trouble, and still managed to put up thirty nine points, sixteen rebounds, and four assists. Like it, it's it's just kind of mind mind boggling how good he's gotten. Not that it's it's surprising, but I guess just that he could be this good. <laughs> that that to me is is the part that you know I, I am still really trying to figure out like you know just how good can he be I, I know going into game three I had mentioned the idea that I really thought he was going to start using his shoulder uh, I thought he knew that since Al Horford doesn't flop he can you know be very physical with him and I think we saw that play out in both games three and four in both those games uh, he was just incredibly aggressive and the Celtics didn't didn't really have an answer for him and I guess to me kind of what what continues to amaze me is just how easily the Bucks are able to get switches and switches onto uh, onto players that they they would like Giannis to attack and then on top of that how with four fouls, I think Giannis showed in the fourth quarter that he could kind of play under control. He could find a way to put his his shoulder into guys and uh, get himself where he wanted to go. He could do it under control. He could uh, a spot where we've seen him struggle this year is. You know, when he has a, a little guy on him, and I think Kyrie Irving would be, you know, a smaller guy. In those moments, we've saw we've seen him pick up charges. We've seen him not look comfortable there. And even earlier in that game, when when he did have three, there was I think a sequence where they got the Irving switch, and he decided not to attack it, instead kick it out. And 
people are like, you know, like, why isn't he attacking? And, you know, I, I thought that was kind of the reason why. Like, he didn't want to pick up four. He knew what that would mean to his team. So uh, he was a little bit more cautious. And I, I don't want to say he threw caution to the wind in the fourth quarter, but he just found a way to get through everything. He found a way uh, to keep making plays and not get himself in trouble. And, you know, it was it was just incredible to watch. Uh, I think... I think that's kind of the easiest way to, to state it is, you know, he's, he just does stuff that other people can't do, other people try to do, but he does it more consistently and, and with more effort and more aggressiveness than than just about anyone else. I mean, certainly out there in the league today, and, you know, it, it's tough to find a, a ton of guys that really played that that played so hard all the time like Giannis and I, I've just come away so impressed in this series with how he's been able to to really take care of business and I think through all of that what what just kind of always impresses me is how willing he is to include his teammates it, it was the play I circled at the athletic but you know the the Celtics cut it down to five I think it's seven nineteen left in the fourth quarter when Bud takes the timeout Takes time out, draws up a play for Giannis. He gets him a mismatch on Marcus Morris. He goes to the rack, and it, that's a matchup that he's dominated pretty much the entire—I mean, pretty much the entirety of his career. And Al Horford crashes down, and Giannis throws a no-look pass out to exactly where you'd expect the the blue square to be over on on the right wing, and. Lopez, who's been there so often this season, is there once again, and he just buries a three. It goes up to eight. It it doesn't get less than the Bucks lead doesn't get less than eight the entire uh, rest of the game, and it, it's just it's just a spot where you know everything that uh, I feel like the Bucks were building towards was was there. Giannis finding his way through the the defense, finding a way to dominate, but then also while doing that, he's able to make great passes, he's able to involve his teammates, and you know, I just thought it was really special stuff from both Connaughton and Hill, and then also Giannis in that game, and, and then I guess the final thing to talk about is just the way in which the, the way in which the Celtics just kind of respond to things they they don't do it very well they don't uh you know there's a, a little bit of adversity and and they they kind of shut it down and the ball stops moving and they they kind of just take some one-on-one shots and because of that and you know because of Kyrie's post-game press conference I'm I'm really wondering what kind of punch it's going to take from the Bucks to to knock out the Celtics. I think sometimes in these games you see teams come out defiantly. They're down 3-1. They know that they got to turn it around. Uh, the team that's up 3-1 maybe doesn't take it as seriously as they need to. And you have yourself a good basketball game. And, you know, I'm just not totally, totally convinced that that is what's going to happen. Uh, I, I'm not sure that the Celtics are going to respond that way. I could see them kind of getting punched in the mouth in the first half and, and kind of folding it up and just calling it a season. Uh, a couple one, two, three Cancuns uh, during timeouts with your hands in the middle and all of a sudden the the game's just over and the Bucks end up winning handily. 
I think that could happen, but you know, this is going to be the I mean, this is the last gasp for the Celtics season. So there there remains that possibility that they just come out and are, you know, just hair on fire, ready to go, ready to, you know, keep this series going, keep their season alive uh, with their backs against the wall. So I think I think it's going to be <laughs> – I think so often this year you never really know what to expect with the Celtics, right? You don't know if they're going to be good or bad that night. You don't know if they're going to try uh, or just not care. You don't know really any of those things, and – I think to me that that kind of makes Game Five interesting. Like, what what Celtics team shows up? Do they pack it in? Do they not? And do the Bucks take care of business? And then you know, I think the other thing that's interesting is you know, is Malcolm Brogdon play? Uh, is he going to be uh, a positive factor? Is is he not going to look good? Is that going to be enough to get some rust off? And and then ultimately do we end up having a game six? So uh, I think all of that will be interesting to watch, but that's going to be all that I have for today. Frank will take you home tomorrow. Uh, As always, uh, thank you for listening. And remember, you can subscribe to the show on the new Himalaya podcast app, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Bucks. So that's going to be it for us for today. Bucks up 3-1 to one in their best-of-seven series against the Boston Celtics. They have a chance to punch their ticket to the Eastern Conference Finals tomorrow night. So exciting stuff there, and we'll see if, if the Bucks can manage to, to get it done. For Frank Men, I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.